In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. My wife Jane and I drove to Beaumont on Wednesday evening, uh, St. Mark's Episcopal Church in Beaumont, where I had been the rector for a number of years, was having a very special service, a special service for the installation of a new rector. And it was important that we be there, and we, of course, wanted to be there. The Bishop of Texas was present. Uh, he presided at this service and he also preached. And he began his sermon by saying this. Of course, he had all his fancy vestments on, and if you've ever seen a, a bishop just all decked out in all the regalia, then you can appreciate what I'm saying. He said, you know, as long as I've been the bishop, I, I've begun to realize that people really love to see the bishop when he shows up, put on all the fancy vestments so they can kind of really, you know, appreciate the bishop wears this mitre and all this stuff. So anyway, he said, a few months ago, I went to this small little congregation up in Columbus, Columbus, Texas, and there were maybe 20 people there, uh, 20 adults. There was one four-year-old child present. And after the service, this child comes walking up, and he kind of looks at the bishop, goes around and looked at this side, and he goes running back to his father, and he says, Dad, Dad, I think I've just met the king of the church. <laughs> well, speaking of kings, King David. King David was one of the greatest heroes of Israel. He was handsome. He was a fearless fighter. Even as a youth, I know you know this story, as a youth, you know, with no armor, no sword, just his little slingshot and a rock, he brings Goliath thump down. Boom, that rock hits Goliath right in the middle of the forehead. Well, David also went on to become a brilliant military strategist. He was also a city planner. He had the vision for what became the city of Jerusalem. Had it built, it became his capital, and he united the entire kingdom under his rule with the capital there in Jerusalem. He was artistic as well. He was a musician, a composer of psalms. The vast majority of psalms uh, that we read, King David wrote. He was God's anointed one. But he was also a sinner. David had an affair. He had an affair with Bathsheba. And when he found out she was pregnant, she, he had her husband, Uriah, sent to the front lines of this battle where he knew that he would probably be killed and sure enough Uriah was and what David did was not pleasing to the Lord soon soon thereafter 
there came a knock on David's door. It was Nathan the prophet. Now what Nathan did, what follows, is I think pure genius. He did not approach the king head on like a fire and brimstone preacher, but he came at him sideways. He came at David sideways with a story. Why do you think Nathan took such an indirect route to get to the king? Because, I believe, because, and just like the woman in the gospel, Nathan hadn't come to condemn David. Jesus didn't come to condemn that woman. In either case, it would have been easy enough to do, given all the facts at hand with both their stories. But Nathan and the story with David was up to something much more profound. He had come to change David's life. To help the king, if he could, see what he had done. To realize what he had done so that his conscience would be revived and that his sense of justice restored. So it called for, on the part of Nathan, it called for restraint. It would have been easy to, to, to demolish the king, but, but um, Nathan wanted to bring him back. He saw his assignment as one of bringing David back to God. And so Nathan told a story. Now this is where it gets interesting because Nathan knew. Nathan knew that human beings tend to drop their defenses, to be more at ease when they are listening to a story. Especially, of course, if the story is about someone else. When the words are not aimed at you, you can listen a great deal better. So that's what happened. That's what happened with David when, when Nathan told him the story of the, of the rich man and all his flocks and the poor man with just the one lamb and how the rich man stole the one man's sheep. And David raised up in great anger and, and, he, and he said, well, he wanted that rich man killed for what he had done. And then all of a sudden, David said, you are that man. You, you are that man. And, and David's heart was split in two. Remember what he said? I have sinned against the Lord. The king of Israel, there on his knees, saying, I have sinned against the Lord. Not because Nathan told him so, but because he realized it. He came to that conclusion for himself in hearing this story. But at that moment, the way Nathan approached him, that was the moment when David was able to start coming back to life, to come back to be the person that God intended him to be, just like when Jesus forgave that woman in the gospel story.
and she was restored to life and health and well-being. The Lord has put away all your sins, Nathan told him. You shall not die. That was the good news. The bad news was that this child would die because in conceiving him, David had utterly scorned the Lord. Now, quite frankly, that might be the very hardest part of the story for us. The child should die because of his father's sin. And I neither want nor know really how to explain that part to you. Instead, I can say this. I believe God and his compassion in that moment of compassion for David, in that moment of compassion for that woman who anointed Jesus' feet with her tears, has given us a description of the way this world works. Letting us know that this is not only a materialistic world we live in, but also a moral one in which ethical acts have consequences just as much as physical ones do. So that when we exercise our freedom, this freedom that we have been given, when we exercise our freedom in life-giving ways, why even the trees clap for joy. But when we exercise our freedom in death-dealing ways, then the earth quakes beneath our feet. There are realities that govern our life together. Realities that we cannot go up against without sooner or later discovering the consequences. And when we discover them, as individuals, as a community, as a nation, God does not turn away from us. God sends prophets to wake us up, to tell us stories that show us who we are, what we have become. And if, like David, if we are lucky enough, attuned enough, that our hearts indeed split in two, then we find that even the death sentence we have pronounced upon ourselves is lifted. Because in both of these cases, David's case, that woman's case, because the recognition of sin is the beginning of the end of it. The recognition of sin is the beginning of the end of it. And all of that, of course, applies to each and every one of us as well. Was David a good man or a bad man? 
I'll let you decide that. But if you do decide that he was a good man, that he really was a hero, I hope it's not just because of Goliath or all that he accomplished, Jerusalem uniting the tribes of Israel. I hope, I hope it's because of that moment with Nathan when David saw what he had become and had the courage to say so, the courage to admit it, he opened the door so that God could say to him, come home, you are forgiven. Amen.